Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Episode 11 of the Total Bees She's Show. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about this one. I'm solo in the studio today, though. Mike Davidson, a little bit lazy, cutting corners, calling in from a remote location. Some might say that you're, you're, you're hiding after the heat you got last week. Oh, first and foremost, I appreciate you allowing me to do this from a remote location because I am like semi on holidays and semi working harder than I've ever worked because the Bombers have two games this week and won the first one in Toronto and should win the second one. By the time this one, this episode runs live, the Bombers will have played Saturday night's game. But what I can say is I appreciate you doing all the work this week and <laughs> I'm not scared of Adam Knight. I'm not laying low. Uh, and I said it last week, I don't dislike Adam Knight. Everything I said about Adam Knight was constructive to his promo, to the way he performs his character. There are issues. He doesn't see it. 27 years in the industry. Oh, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to beat the dead horse. Go figure. Excuse the pun. But Adam Knight is not an outlaw. If Adam Knight watches Yellowstone and he thinks, hey, I'm acting just like the guys on that show, he's crazy, delusional. But he is a well-liked and respected professional. So when I say what I said, I wasn't being personal. I heard from so many people. I heard from 12, 13 people, which is a lot, uh, because a lot of people don't want to touch it because it's too much heat. Right. What I heard from, I heard from a couple of promoters, and they said, you hit the nail on the head. And I heard from a couple of wrestlers who said, oh, that was a burial. Then I heard from a couple of fans who said, hey, that was entertaining. Now, the people who said it was a burial, it was not meant to be a burial. My argument was that 27 years in the business, Adam Knight thinks he's too good to be produced. And if I had been producing the promo, I would have said, that's not outlaw enough for what should be a grudge match between a cowboy and an outlaw. That isn't good enough. And I would have had him redo it and redo it and redo it until we got something we could use. He's innocent of doing anything wrong because somebody held that camera and somebody loaded that video to YouTube and somebody said, hey, that's good enough. But that promo wasn't good enough, as I said last week. So I don't want to beat a dead horse and I don't want to take shots and, and, and I don't want people mistaking it. And I don't want people making the mistake that it's a personal attack on Adam Knight. I don't dislike Adam Knight. In fact, I like Adam Knight. The problem is Adam Knight should change his gimmick. 27 years into the business and on a local scene, he should develop a new character. And here's what I think he should do. He should call himself the savior, Adam Knight. And the reason he should call himself the savior is because in his own mind, every time he shows up and works a local wrestling show, he is saving the local industry. He thinks he is doing a favor for that crew or that promotion. So it will be very easy for him to naturally play that character because that's already what he thinks he's doing. So he should call himself the savior, Adam Knight, because he's not an outlaw. I know you're being a little bit facetious, but I kind of actually like that. No, I'm not. I could see that. Like I could, if he grew out his beard a little bit and like wore all white and acted, you know, 
act like I'm Jesus type thing. I think that would yes. that'd be huge. His gimmick should become that in his own mind, and I'm not being facetious, in his own mind, he is God's gift to Winnipeg wrestling. And that's how he should carry himself. And that way, when he cuts a promo where he's dismissive to half the crew, it wouldn't seem so bad. And, and nothing he does would come across bad. It would work. He could act exactly like he does. He could even still wear the cowboy hat. But he should call himself the savior, Adam Knight. And that's all I'm going to say about Adam Knight right now. Okay, fair I do enough. want to talk about the positives of, of independent wrestling in Canada. If we're a little choppy today, it's, a, it's not your fault, Chris. It's my fault because I'm not in studio, so I can't read your ver- nonverbal cues. We're all good, buddy. So here's what I've been seeing in independent wrestling across Western Canada. There's so many good shows going on. 3D Pro Wrestling just announced that they're going to have their second date. It's coming up, I think, at the end of August. And they're going to run that Legion and Osborne Village in Winnipeg. Yeah. They're going to run with a guy that I think is a Ring of Honor name. I don't remember his name. And it's not important because I had to ask people, is this guy a big deal? Which is a bad sign for a promoter. <laughs> Somebody who should know has to say, is this guy a big deal? But they're going to do something good, hopefully. And my buddy, Heavy Metal in Edmonton, who had that heavy ticket price for his first show, ran his first show at the Midway in Edmonton. He's announced his second date. And that's coming up, I believe, also in August. You're going to have to correct me on dates if I'm wrong there, Chris. Sorry, I'm freelancing here. <laughs> you um, are. But Top Talent Wrestling Academy in Edmonton, they ran this venue called The Midway. And I've seen the production value from that show. And holy, is that massive. They could run TV out of this venue. It looked majorly. It looked better than Impact Wrestling. It looked better than Ohio Valley Wrestling. It looked better than NWA even. It looked better than all of those mid-tier indies that are out there right now. Really? Um, oh, yeah. It, it, it looked major league. Air Heavy Metal in Edmonton. Good job. How he landed that venue is very impressive. I have no idea. Very impressive. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep drawing big houses. You're doing something special out there in Edmonton. And there's another group in Edmonton called Love Wrestling. They just signed a deal with The Rec Room, which I believe is owned by Cineplex, if I'm not mistaken. I think they're going to run shows regularly there uh, until the end of 2023, which I think is impressive. Okay, so, so I, I've, got, I've got two things, two things to talk about. Um, sure. Number one being you mentioned 3D Pro Wrestling in their show and having that, that uh, ROH guy come in. I, I just <laughs> think they're so good at promotion, I think it's going to be a sellout. Like, I think it's going to be a sellout hey. anyways. They're so good at promoting their, their products. And I okay. know they're fresh, but. So tell me what they're so good at doing promoting. Wise. Well, what, what I'm seeing, I see all sorts of ads on Facebook and it's probably just guys on the show, but they've got their, mm-hmm. guy, they've got their guys believing in the vision and they're posting about okay. it. So I'm, but that's that's ah. an, that's an important tool, Mike. That's an important tool ah. is having your guys believe in the product enough that they want to put it out there. Because I've said this before, there's other shops around where I have no idea there's a show until I see results. Sure, but that that should be part and parcel of what you're doing when yes. you do a business with a wrestler as a promoter. They should do their part on social media to push the show. Um, here's what I'll say. I don't want to be critical of 3D Pro, but their graphic design this time, I'm trying to remember, it had three wrestlers and three wrestlers. It looked like they're promoting a six-man tag main event. Right. You know how I am about graphic design 
and and what it promotes in this particular sh- in this particular graphic and I'm going to put it on social media so people can see it it looked like a six man tag tilt right uh, and it's three it's three wrestlers on one color on one side and it's blue and obviously because they're called 3D one side's blue one side's red but it looked like team blue against team red um, and and I, I actually like their graphic design for the most part, but how they lay it out has to be a little bit different because as a as a critic, and that's essentially what I'm becoming. That's what it looked like. Oh, these three are going to wrestle these three, and it's not actually what the lineup is. Um, I think 3D is good, but I'm going to say this: promoters who run free venues, and I believe the Osborne Legion is a free venue. Now, if I'm wrong, they can send in a note, and I'll correct myself next week when I'm back in studio. But um, if you're running a free venue, I, that doesn't impress me much. That's, that's called a shortcut, in my opinion. And, and I think that's what they're doing, and, I, and I, I'm critical of that. You can call them Shania so, Twain, because that don't impress them much. <laughs> there you have it. Um, that's pretty much all I want to say off this opening segment. I'd like to talk more about WFX after the break, and, and you know, I, I don't want to beat on Adam Knight too badly today. No, I, 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 I'm sorry, but... What? I, I definitely want to get into the w, WFX thing, but I did have kind of a follow-up question because you mentioned, you know, all these these indie promotions doing really well. You know, you've got Top Talent Academy, you've got Love. They're signing, you know, pretty good venues and they're putting out pretty good product. And we, we're seeing it in Winnipeg too. Lots and lots of guys are running. Have we entered into another hot period for indie wrestling? Because I think we no, have. No. Really? No, we haven't. See, I ha- I'm privy to something else that independent promoters aren't seeing right now, and that's the sports entertainment recession. Hey, I'll tell you right now, CFL football across Canada, they're not quite drawing what they should be drawing based on numbers pre-pandemic. Right. And NHL hockey in some markets aren't drawing what they should be drawing or were drawing pre-pandemic. And that's a high ticket items. We're talking $125 for NHL tickets. We're talking probably $65 for CFL tickets. There is a slight decline across the board in those things. I think that's going to trickle down to to local wrestling or wrestling on the independent scale. I think you're going to start to see houses that aren't big enough. I think what you're seeing right now is these promoters are hyping the shows, but the high side of what they're drawing is 300, 350 maybe. The low end is 120 to 150. Um, which is, I guess is good, but I'll tell you 15 years ago, if I was running a show and, and I was stuck at a 300, a 300 person number, I wouldn't have been that excited about it back in my weekly days, 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2001 and two, especially 300. We were trying to get that on a weekly level. 200 was a, 200 was a good week. 300 was a great week. And then as it declined into the 150, 125, it was hard for me to continue doing it because I, I saw it going down and up. I'm not, I'm not impressed with numbers in that 150 range. I think that I think promoters aim too low, and I think they got to be aiming higher. They have to identify. The one thing promoters are having a challenge with is they've got to get into a venue that holds 500 people, and they've got to build their market to get to 500 because that's, that's starting to be serious. You're not going to get any good sponsorship if you're a, your venue only holds 125, 150, 200 people, and you're not filling it. Right. So you got to get into the bigger venue, and you got to get the numbers up. And nobody has that. Nobody has that goal right now. Very few. So, uh, so I, I don't think we're in a, a renaissance period for wrestling. 
I think there's just a lot of excitement amongst promoters. Okay. And I think that the boys, the boys are excited again to get into the ring because it's been a year or two during the pandemic where they couldn't. Okay. So let's say, let's say there's a, we'll just talk locally here, but let's say there's yeah. a lo- local shop that, that books the venue you're talking about, the 500 seat venue, and they've got a good presentation. Do you think that would kick off a hot period? Would you think that? No, would, no, you don't think that would spurn something? To, I get, I'm going to say this to get to a hot period, you'll need to see something that excites a large amount of fans. The closest thing in Winnipeg right now is Winnipeg Pro when they're selling out at 350 or whatever their number is. They, that's the closest thing to a hot period. They're going to a venue that's bigger than the average venue and they're selling it out. If they move to 500 and they're consistently getting four or 500, they will have moved up. But it's something they're doing as promoters to do it. It's not consistent across the board. I don't have a lot of high hope across the board. One, because there's so much competition out there for the for the dollar between movie theaters, between sports, between um, re- other wrestling shows. So I just don't think you're going to get the consistency of the numbers going up. I think right now is as hot as it's going to get. The other thing too is when I ran in 2007, 10, 2002, this idea of running bi-monthly would never have appealed to me or anybody I wrote a business plan to impress. Oh, we're going to run six shows a year. People would say there's no business model. You got to get running more frequently. See, and that's the thing CWE does really well is they're going to hit eight dates, 10 dates a month. So if you're only running two, one show every two months and you're only getting 150 or 200, you're selling a ticket every three days or however many it is. I think they, I, I just think that for it to become hot, there has to be a demand on the product enough, either a demand that gets in the 500 to a thousand person range or that you can run a regular schedule. And you're building. There's not enough building on six shows a year. That's just my opinion. We we might even just need that hot character you were talking about, the savior, Adam Knight, to save us all. <laughs> the savior, Adam Knight. He'll never do it because Adam, I'm going to go back to Adam Knight for one last thought. <laughs> I shouldn't have the said anything. Adam, the best Adam Knight ever was locally is when Mike Davidson produced him. And you know what? He didn't always listen to me. And when he didn't listen to me, he he, he and I would yell at each other. But when he finally would stop being stubborn and listen to a producer would say, you need to do it this way for this reason, he would be better. But at 27 years, he's like a stubborn old mule and he he thinks he knows better. And that's why he needs to change his character, needs to update himself, come back as the savior Adam Knight and think he's holier than thou and carry himself like that. It would work. Anyway, let's go to break, please, so I can come back and talk about something I love, WFX. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Cheese Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code Bees Cheese. Again, the code is B E E Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. This is Wayne Stanton from Episode 6 of the Total Bees She's Show. If you're not listening to this podcast, I think you're a coward. All right, Mike, we had fun talking last week about WFX, and I've got some more questions and more things I want to know about. Now, 
You mentioned last week, just to do, do a little recap, that Jeff Dick had approved, uh, you know, a pretty hefty budget of $2.25 million. And you said, you know, we're, we're probably, probably going to lose that. He said, we're not going to lose it. Like he was just, the way you expressed it to me, he was uber confident about it. Now, when you found out you had that kind of budget to work with, I mean, where was your, where was your head at? Where, where, where do you start? Okay. So yes, you recruit, recap that. Well, what he said was, I, what I said was, we're going to lose a million dollars in year one and we're going to lose three quarters of a million in year two and half in year three. And at that point, you're going to have to decide 2.25 million in if you want to keep going. And he said, no, we're never going to lose that. He said, but I'll give you that budget to work. With. So that was, I'll be honest. I was in a state of disbelief. I did not think that that was going to happen, right? It's one thing to have somebody tell you, hey, I'm going to give you that budget, but you don't believe it. 100%. And at that time, the first order of business was he had taken David Bastel and I through a TV studio in Winnipeg that ended up becoming One World Studios. And he said, I'm going to move into this. The, the hiccup I saw, or the handcuffs I saw was, I thought it would only hold 500 people. He, he did measurements. He said, it'll hold 200. And I said, okay, so let's say we can start selling this out. And there were nights where we did pretty close to sell it out with Sabu and Rupert and a few. There was, I think, out of seven shows, two of them did 600 or five to 600. One show did 450. Another one did 300. And there was a couple that were a little lower than that. We're doing every three weeks. It was, it was tough. It's not like what promoters are doing now. So, but the first order of business, once he approved the money was, I said, once we move into studio, once, once you take possession of this building that includes a TV studio and executive offices, I will be able to work extremely quickly. To, to put the roster together and, and to plan shows. So, and this was a, Hulk Hogan had just signed with TNA. So I think it was the last week of November in 2009. And he had told me, okay, uh, we're taking possession of the studio on January 1st, 2010. And I still was in a state of, I don't know if I believe this. I'd, I'd been with Jeff a long time and I knew that he dreamed big, but sometimes fell short. So the first thing I did was it, it became time at that exact day to start contacting talent and start putting together what would be a roster for WFX. And that roster wasn't going to be what independent promoters do today, where they pick one name and bring them in for one show right. and try to pop the crowd. My job was going to be to create a relationship with talent, which is what I had done before with uh, Action Wrestling Entertainment in 2005 and what I had done in 2007. I had started already creating the relationship. So the first, the first guy I was going to sign to WFX was Umaga. So I immediately, first in the first days of December 2010, I got I made contact with Rikishi and Black Pearl and Gangrel, who were all a, a clique together. And my goal was I could I could reintroduce doing business with all three of those guys. I had immense respect for all three, even though. I'd had some challenges with Rikishi at one point. I certainly had a great relationship with Dave Gangrel, and I liked Black Pearl a lot. So I, I said, okay, well, obviously the door is open for all three to come back to Canada and do this. But the guy I wanted, the big star, was going to be Umaga. I want because I knew I knew when you start a company like this, your heels are going to be who you build around. The heels draw the money. Baby faces sell. The heel makes the baby face. If you don't have good heels, you won't have good baby face. And I thought if we got Umaga. 
it would all be very, very, very good for business. So, and Black Pearl was very receptive and there was communication with Rikishi. Uh, Dave was 100% in and he ended up becoming a big part of the overall picture. Fast forward, Umaga passed away. So there goes the guy that was going to be our big first signing. Uh, and, and, you know, a tragic tragedy hits and we didn't get who we wanted to. Um, so fast forward, you know, that sucked. It, it kicked us in the balls, unfortunately, because that would have been a great top guy, although he would have come in at, at bigger dollars than our average payroll guy was. So we reset. It sucked. We get into about Christmas of 2009. And I hadn't, I hadn't locked anyone down and just asking me every day, well, who are, who are we going to sign? Who, who's going to be on our roster? And with Hogan coming and debuting at TNA in January of 2010, something funny had happened around Boxing Day or December 27th, 2009. Uh, the news sites were reporting that Billy Gunn had been let go by Impact or TNA. Yes. So I had a great relationship with them. And at that point, that was Jeff Dick's favorite wrestler. So the second I read that Billy Gunn had been released, I was immediately in contact with him. And I said, hey, we're starting. It's going to be regular. We've got a TV studio. And we want you to be a, we want you to be the top guy. And that was the easiest negotiation of my life. He was like, I'm in. We didn't, we, we didn't even start working out numbers. We didn't start anything. He was, if you're doing it, I'm coming. And it was great. So Billy Gunn ends up being the first guy. Now, because of copyright at the time, he didn't own the trademark. WWE did. We couldn't call him Billy Gunn. We didn't want to. We 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 didn't want to confuse it, right? So we just called him Kip, which is his, his shoot first name. So he's the first guy we signed. And from there, talking with him, uh, he had people he wanted to bring in. He wanted to bring in Kevin Thorne. I we at that point talked about. I can't remember who Gang Rowe was obviously on the original roster. I wanted Bushwhacker Luke. I had an idea for Larry Zabisco. Um, so it came together pretty fast. I started working with a producer named Liam Phillips, who became the first director of creative. And together we started putting this roster together. Uh, Eric Cannon, uh, Darren Corbin. We started the way the roster was compiled was one third of the roster was going to be former WWE talent. We call it free agent talent. Eugene, Din- uh, Eugene, Gangrel, Billy Gunn, Kevin Thorne, Gangrel. I think I said Gangrel twice. You did. Bushwhacker Luke. <laughs> yeah. And we just kept, we put that together. And then we identified a 12-hour radius of Winnipeg where independent talent could be brought in and, and, and we would pay their transportation to drive in and be a part of the roster. So then there was a, we put together some Alberta talent, Eclipse and Kamikaze, were two of them. APOC went on to be in WWF as Rick or WWE as Rick Victor. And then in Minnesota, we had Darren Corbin, Aaron, Eric Cannon, Aria Davari, and we made a deal with Sean Davari to come in and team with his brother. So the roster was really impressive. And then we took the best of the best locals. AJ Sanchez, Kevin Chevy, Mentolo, John Cutler, Danny Duggan. Uh, I'm missing so many guys. But it's not an oversight. It's not a slight on anybody. The first order of business I told uh, Liam Phillips was, this is going to be a tag team wrestling company. We're going to focus on tag teams because I think that's something we can do better than WWE and TNA. And Eric and uh, Kevin Chevy and AJ Sanchez are going to be the tag team champions. And we're going to build around those two guys. And uh, that was a hell of a game plan. 
So here we are. It's about January 15th. We've assembled a really, really good roster. And the best part is I had forecasted that we were going to lose a ton of money. And I had thought, okay, if we can get talent at this rate of pay, we'll, we'll really be doing well. The guys that we were getting were coming in at a discount. Nobody was charging us top dollars because we were going to them and saying, we're not just going to book you once. We're not an independent company that only wants to do business with you once. We're going to book you every three weeks. You're going to be a part of our TV company. And that helped us get them. Uh, one of the things we did right away was Liam Phillips had an idea. And if we had done Liam Phillips' idea, WFX would have exploded. Liam Phillips wanted to, at the time, Jersey Shore was just hitting. And Liam Phillips wanted to go and get the stars of MTV, the situation, and Snooki, and turn them into WFX wrestling stars. That would be And there was a, yeah, there was a window to do it because it was just before the show had really hit. Um, but Jeff Dick, when we pitched it to Jeff Dick, he shot it down because I guess they had done an angle on, on, um, MTV where situation punched a woman. Yeah. And he said, I don't want my, ha- I don't want to, I don't want to be on man or women violence. I don't think that's the image I want to portray. So he, he gassed us going after the Jersey Shrang. But as, as a result of that, what ended up happening was, um, Liam Phillips had a plan B in his back pocket where he said, well, Johnny Fairplay is involved with independent wrestling and he's big from Survivor. And there's this new kid, he said at the time, who was on Big Brother, who had gone to, uh, who had gone to Florida Championship Wrestling and wrestled a match, Jesse Goddard. Oh, yes. And he said, if you, if you get those two guys, I can do the whole reality thing I have in my head. So when that was pitched to Jeff Dick, a little secret, Jeff Dick is a huge reality TV fan at the time. And as the financier, the, the financial backer, if you will, he was like, oh, he, very excited for this. Like it was the number one thing that excited him about WFX. So that's how the roster came together. It was, it was so outside of my comfort zone. Michael Elgin was another guy we brought in at that time. He was a guy very early. I'd seen him wrestle a show for Danny in November. And I said, that guy's a heel. That guy is the most natural heel I've ever seen. And so adding him to the mix was important because you need strong heels. Um, so that's how the, that's how the roster came together. It wasn't just, Hey, I worked with, it wasn't, Hey, I work with all these guys. We're just going to put it together and, and we're just going to grow with this team that we've been together for five years on the, on the local scene. There was a process involved to putting that roster together. And it was a very unique thing. It was like, how does this guy fit in? And Liam would pitch different ideas and we would go with it. He actually, we, the vampire thing, Gangrel and Kevin Thorne. He actually said, I don't want it to be vampires. That's kind of hokey, even though Twilight was big at that time. He wanted it to seem like they were a syndicate of mobsters, but that they oh, had a dark yeah. undertone, that it, that it had a dark undertone. So the, the way that roster came together was unique in itself. And, I, and I'm not really doing it justice, but that was step two after Jeff Dick okayed the budget, after Jeff Dick moved into the studio. And on January 1st, True to word, we moved into a TV studio. It was amazing. Okay, Mike. So before we continue on, I had a couple questions about some of the things you mentioned. Um, Number one being, you were mentioning you were going to book Umaga, which would have have been amazing. 
I, I just wondered, did, did you have a vision of how you, how you were going to book? Obviously, you're going to book him as a monster heel, but did, did you sort of have a through line of what you were going to do with him? Or was it just a guy you're like, I can do a lot with this dude? Ah, good question. So initial, it was all initial because he passed away soon after I identified he'd be our top guy. If we had gotten him, I would envision, given what he had done very effectively, is we would have made him a killer and got him, like, given him a hell of a run where no one could run with him, where he, where he was basically unbeatable and, and a heel that couldn't be touched. Uh, and you would have probably fed him, you know, a lot of undercard talent, but you also would have fed him Eugene and you would have fed him like, um, a bushwhacker Luke maybe, or someone like that to get him some wins of note. And probably it would have been to set him up for a program with him and Billy Gunn, uh, where it looked like Billy had no chance to win it. And then you could tell that story either way. You could either have it. Remember Vader versus Ric Flair, Starcade 1993? Definitely. Yeah. So Flair ends up beating Vader, but I think they could have done that story just as well as Vader had beat Flair, right? And I think that's what we could have done with Umaga and Billy Gunn at that point. A babyface who has the sentimental value and is a little bit older than Umaga, but a heel who seems to can't be stopped. Well, you might be able to go with the heel that doesn't get stopped in that situation. So I, I think that would have been something we would have done with Umaga. Okay, fair enough. Uh, by the way, Billy Gunn, one of the nicest guys out there. If you ever get a chance to, s- to meet him at a signing or something like that, it, it's wor- well worth it. Well worth it to get in line and meet the guy because he's... He's super nice. He was actually uh, probably the most instrumental guy in getting WFX off the ground. Uh, in ne- you know, next week I'm probably going to talk about how the roster, how we went to the first taping, and how the roster evolved from that. But Billy was the guy who got on the phone with anybody if we needed credibility when we were talking to a guy. I would say, "Hey, Billy, have you worked with this guy? Can we get this guy?" And he would take over and take care of it. He, he, it was amazing what he did. He 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 would make it easy for us to get whoever we wanted. Okay, even so Kevin Thorne actually. Another thing I was I was wondering about. You, you mentioned booking uh, Jesse Goddard. Is he he's currently with OVW? I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts are on. Like I'm surprised personally because I've seen him I've seen him work and I've seen some of the OVW stuff online and obviously I've I've seen the the WFX stuff. I'm, I'm wondering why he hasn't been snatched up by somebody like WWE or AEW. Is it because he's got the, like, cause he's a busy guy. He's got lots of outside interests. Is that it? I don't know. I'll tell you this in 2010. So many people would say like locals would be like, why are they booking this guy? And why are they paying him? And why are they flying him in? I, that was the question that Jeff Wallace would hear and tell me about that. Locals would say to him like, What's Jesse Goddard's got that I don't? Oh, I don't know. He's been a star on Big Brother, which is an immensely popular TV show. Oh, I don't know. He's got a million-dollar body and a million-dollar face to back it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. He's got raw talent like you wouldn't believe. There was a lot of reasons why Jesse Goddard's made that roster. Michael Elgin was the other one that they all asked. What's Michael Elgin got that I don't have? Oh, I don't know. Don't make me answer that question because I'm going to break your heart when I go on and on about their talent. Yeah. Goddard was a natural and he had charisma and he had a look and he had all this. It didn't surprise me. And we would have lost him soon, like with very shortly because he would have gone to TNA and they would have said, Hey, don't do that. Other thing. Um, right now, I think it's a little bit to do with outside of interest, like with modeling and 
being a fitness, like I think he still competes in fitness competition. Yeah. And he, and he still wants to leave his door open to do stuff for CBS with Big Brother or potentially any other acting opportunities. Um, I don't think he fits in with all elite. I'll be honest. I, I agree. Think he'd get buried in, I think he'd get buried underneath and they're too busy wanting to push Dan Housen and, and pockets, orange Cassidy. Yeah. Like they, they, they wouldn't want to push somebody that might draw women. The reason WFX had Jesse Goddard was that guy drew more women to our show. Part of how we got to 400 people or, and, and more was because girls found out that guy from Big Brothers actually in Winnipeg every three weeks. Yeah, he does this wrestling thing at that studio, which no one could find because it was off them and the highway. And they wanted to find out where Jesse Goddard was going to be, and they came to shows. And a lot of a lot of girls took an interest in our product thanks to Jesse Goddard. I think Goddard's would be a great fit in WWE. He's a little bit short for Vince's liking. He would be great in WWE. But I like him being in Ohio Valley. I also think NWA should have looked at him. I think Impact should have brought him back for their anniversary. This is a guy who fits that mid-tier indie, Major League Wrestling, TNA, Ohio Valley, even Ring of Honor, as an upper-card guy. He, 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 he's got such a social media following that if you have him on your ro- roster, he brings a completely different fan base and they support him because he's of that reality TV lure that he had. And so, I wouldn't be surprised if NWA has already re- reached out to him, to be honest, because they're, they're, Billy Corgan seems to be pretty good about grabbing some of those yeah. guys. And Corgan would have worked with him in Impact and so did Lagana before Lagana left NWA. Right. But I think if, I think right now, and I know you want to talk about this later, but we can talk about it now. Sure. Ohio Valley Wrestling signing that deal with Netflix. I think Jesse Goddard should stay right where he is uh-huh. and hope and hope that that deal maybe leads to some sort of growth or explosion for Ohio Valley because then he can be a top guy in a company that he bet on before they became a big deal. And he can be the benefactor of believing in something that exploded. I'll tell you this. In, in WFX in 2010, we were in our infancy, and that guy believed. He talked about WFX like it was the biggest thing in the world, and he believed it. It wasn't fake. He believed in WFX more than locals did, and locals should have been believing in WFX the most. He was an outstanding professional. I'm going to gush about this guy. He was, he was a pleasure to deal with. He'd get a little cranky if he didn't eat because he was a bodybuilder, but God, he was, he was a pleasure to deal with. Yeah, and I mean, you, you you nailed it right there with the with the OVW signing the deal with Netflix, and that could be a huge for him because you mentioned he likes to to be involved in modeling and acting like that. I mean, that could easily lend itself to perhaps a Netflix series down the road. You never know because, and the reason why I brought that part up is that with this deal, the producers of the Netflix series Last Chance You they're involved with this new series with OVW, so they know how to yeah. put, they know how to put out compelling content. So they're going to come up with a reality TV series that's going to be right in Jesse's wheelhouse. The one thing I would say, though, for Jesse is it's now 14, 13 years since he happened on the scene at uh, Florida Championship Wrestling. And it's probably 11 or 12 years since he ended up in Impact. He's kind of got to, if, he, if he's going to expl- be a part of an explosion, it's, there's going to have to be a lot of luck involved because he's been around a long time and people know what you're getting with Jesse Goddard. There's, the upside has probably already been tapped, but that isn't to say he isn't a, he couldn't be a valuable part on, as an upper card guy on a roster for like 
Ohio Valley or NWA. No, no question about. It. I mean, so with this, they're they're probably going to produce a reality style TV show for OVW. I imagine uh, weaved into there some somewhere is also just some regular, like a regular wrestling program. I can't imagine they would have signed a deal without having something like that in play. I, well, what I heard was it's first right of refusal on Ohio Valley programming. Right. goes to Netflix. So that in itself gives Net, or, uh, Ohio Valley a ton, a ton of credibility to start negotiating with other networks because, you know, like, oh, Netflix is looking at you. Okay, well, what does Netflix see that we don't see? We should take a second look at this company. For a broker who's going to go out there and help them strike a TV deal, Net, that Netflix deal is extremely valuable for credibility for Ohio Valley Wrestling. So in my opinion, Ohio Valley now suddenly becomes right in there with Impact and NWA and, and uh, Major League Wrestling as that second tier. One of those is going to explode. And that's just, you nailed it. I was just going to ask you, does that put them in the conversation with with Impact and, and NWA? And I, I almost think that that deal with Netflix could even make them... A, a step above or half a step above those other places because Netflix is, I mean, it's huge. It's a juggernaut. It is a juggernaut. It, uh, I think Netflix ultimately is going to get into business with either all elite or WWE eventually. Yeah. Um, it seems to me to be a huge leap to think, Oh, how Valley is going to go from where they are today, where they've been in the last five years to all of a sudden being as big as, as all elite or WWE. But certainly I think, Impact has grown to be as big as it's going to be. I think NWA over the last two years or three years hasn't grown past the YouTube sensation that they were when they launched NWA Power. I don't know what their pay-per-view numbers do. I think Major League Wrestling has a chance to grow a little bit more, but it's going to be hard for it to explode. One of those companies in that mid-tier should explode, and now you have to consider Ohio Valley as, as one of the possibilities. Yeah, I, I think they're the front runner at this point. To be honest with you, I, I and I, I, you know me, I'm always banging the NWA drum because I really like what they do. But, but you, like you said, they haven't s- seemed to move past the initial heat they got when they first started. They haven't seemed to move on from that. And that that's an interesting question. What? How would you move NWA forward? I mean, uh, just I mean, you don't have to go too too in depth. But how would you move them forward to to that sort of next level? They got to get a TV deal. They've done all they can do without a TV. Back when they started NWA Power and it was a studio show, I would have loved nothing more than a WGN, a network that size, to put them on Saturday nights at 6 p.m., which is, I believe is, is a, I think that's the prime TV spot for a wrestling company now. I Impact being on Thursdays, they're proud of that. Major League Wrestling, uh, Scott Mason could tell us better what night they run in the state. I think I think if if you're going to have a TV time slot right now, if I was NWA, six o'clock it's the old Crockett time slot. It's also the old Vern Gagne time slot in Winnipeg. It was a great time slot for for generations, probably two or three generations. If you can get Saturday night at six, it's before people go out and have a social life. It's before you know pro sports gets hot on Saturday night, like UFC and stuff. Get that time slot, turn it into one hour. And if NWA could do that on a network the size of WGN, even if they didn't get a huge TV royalty rate enough to just pay for the production of the show, they will, they will grow from having that distribution. Um, but 
I thought that they should have been able to grow off of just having YouTube distribution and everybody wanting to see it. I think that they've they've cut off their own like they they've they've stumbled on their own cutting off their own momentum at times. And I think hopefully they get it right. I love having Trevor Murdoch as a world champion. Yeah. I think Nick Aldis is the best guy, not in all elite or WWE. And when um, uh, the other guy there that just vacated the title and the name eludes me. Sorry Aaron about Stevens. That. No, 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 the other guy, the guy, the guy with the injury, uh, Chelsea Green's husband. Oh, Zach Ryder. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. Zach, Matt Cardona. Zach Ryder. Matt Cardona. Matt Cardona. Thank you. Thank you. When he's healthy, you have three guys at the top of your roster that are compelling to watch, and it gives you three, a three-way rivalry on who's going to wear the belt. That's a good storyline. Yeah, so, they've got a really fun roster. Yeah, so I think NWA is, is really compelling. I think Impact's good, too. I think Major League. Scott Mason's going to come on our show, and he's going to talk. He, this would be a great debate. If we talk about that mid-tier, and we have Mason on there debating for, for Major League Wrestling, and you have me talking about Impact, and NWA and you pushing Ohio Valley, I think the fan, I think it'd be great. I think that that should be a feature on this show. Okay, so now that you mentioned all those 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 promotions, those second tiered promotions, do you think that it would behoove any of them to join forces, so to speak? Because we're seeing a little bit of that with Forbidden Door. Um, you know, no. I, I don't think it, I, I, so this was asked. To, this was a question asked to me, and I I said I don't think so. I think everybody should do their own thing. And the yeah. the survival of the fittest, but I th- I I said I'd pose it to you. So do you think it would? Is there any benefit? I like that. I, I, I like that. I like that you did. Here's what I say about that. Back in 1985, when Pro Wrestling USA started, and it was going to be AWA, Memphis, and and Crockett, and and Watts, and they were all going to merge. They were going to push Vince around. The egos didn't work. I watched the New Japan. All Elite Pay Per View. What was that called? Forbidden Door. Forbidden that, Door. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. And I thought, I thought that New Japan came off as the submissive little stepsister because why is John Moxley the champion of that company? I don't want to talk mainstream. But if you wanted an upset, it's the interim champion. If you wanted an upset, put Tanahashi over on Moxley, then take the interim t- championship back to Japan. Get a whole bunch of steam on the interim All Elite Championship. So that when Punk comes back, you have an international rivalry. Moxley's the shit. I'm sorry to say. And if you, I don't care if you like him, but I, I just think he he annoys me. He does not he does not resonate with me. A lot of people in today's wrestling don't resonate with me, and I apologize to today's wrestling fans who are going to want to argue with me. But I still like ass kicking heels who get heat and baby faces who sell for sympathy and come back. And Moxley's neither of them. I think I think he plays a good heel though. Like they they haven't really used him in that capacity, but I think he could be a really good prick heel. To be honest with you, I, and I agree with everything you said about him right now. Like his his character, and I I don't even know if it's a character, if it's just an extension of his personality. But it's 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 not hitting for me. Nothing is hitting. Like the, Tony Khan thinks he's a bigger star than he is. Vince McMahon thought he was a bigger star than he was. And today's wrestling fan puts him over better than he is. He is not that ass-kicking heel that I talk about, and he's not the sympathetic babyface that succeeds thanks to the ass-kicking heel. If this was 1999, he would be underneath. He would be U.S. champion in the same category as Raven. Okay. Right. Yeah. Where he would be like IC champion, working a program. He'd be like I don't know, like uh, 
who am I thinking of? Val Venus. Like he would never be a top guy in 1999. Maybe he would have when Jeff Jarrett became the top guy in WCW, but like he just doesn't, it doesn't resonate. But what I said was, if you're, if you're going to do a Forbidden Door pay-per-view, that pay-per-view would, would have ended so much stronger if Tanahashi is now the new all elite wrestling champion defense the interim championship. I've never understood that term. UFC thing. I never got it. And he takes that belt back to Japan and parades it around and gets a whole bunch of credibility on the new Japan brand. And then has to, and then, and then CM Punk has to go back for the title unification match in Japan as the underdog and wins it. Like think Rocky America versus Japan. Okay, Mike. So since this week, you're the one who broke the rule about talking about mainstream wrestling. Yeah. I think, I have a question for you, and and this is this is this pains me to say it, but I'm wondering if 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 you have warmed at all on a guy like Orange Cassidy. Now hold on, this is why I say it, not because of the Gaga. I hate the hands on the pockets. I hate all that stuff, but he's been putting together a couple pretty good matches recently. Has that warmed you at all to him? Cooler than ever. Really. <laughs> Because I thought that match with Will Ospreay was great. Uh, the match he had with Ethan Page was tremendous recently. Besides, yeah. besides all the pockets junk. Yeah. See, the thing is, is he is an immensely talented wrestler, but he allows himself to do all of this stupid stuff <laughs> in an effort to be cute. That it takes the see in its essence, and and I don't care. I'm not going to argue against people who believe differently, but they're wrong and I'm right. And here's what it is. In its essence, wrestling draws the most money when people believe in the heel and hate the heel and people believe in the baby face and they want to pull for the baby face. If you can target the emotional strings, but to do that, you have to have elements of reality. And what Orange Cassidy does is not real. Now, hey, I'm not stupid. I'm not a believer. I don't think that wrestling is real. But I also didn't believe that in 1997 when I believed Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart were capable of killing each other. That's what you have to strive for. And All Elite does not try that. And it's, a, it's to their own detriment. It's why their TV viewership hasn't grown. And WWE doesn't try that. It's why their, their television viewership has has declined independent wrestling at a local level has to try to get people to believe it's real so that they want to dedicate their time or um pay to see tickets because i'll be honest twenty dollars for me to go to something is not a big a big investment but the three hours it takes for me to go there is something i can't get back so if you're going to get me to dedicate my time, you got to give me an element of reality. That's why people want to believe I buried Adam Knight and that I hate him and he's going to punch me because they want to believe in reality. And that's where Orange Cassidy will never pass the sniff test for me. He will never impress me. It doesn't matter all the cute things he can do. If I don't believe that the heel hates him and I don't believe he's in danger and fighting from behind, and I don't believe that there's an element of reality. I ain't ever going to pay for it. And that's, that's that. All right, that's fair. Mike, we're going to take a quick break, and we're coming back with fan questions. 
Okay, Chris, I love these. Let's go. The Total B She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total B She's Show on Twitter at Total B She's, on Instagram at Total B She's, or search us on Facebook, Total B She's. All right, Mike, now it's time to do fan questions. Um, this one's a really good one. We got this one in via social media from Garrett. He says, I'm wondering why the Wrestle Supercard show never came to fruition. Was it supposed to be a one-time show, or was it going to be an extension of the defunct WFX? Great question from Garrett. Um, so what happened with that in, I guess it was 2017, uh, a couple of my friends, had gotten together and we all had the itch. See, my friends were a part of the WFX journey with me. Sean Brown was a part of that. And so we were all going to pool some money and we had a, we had a third part or a third party that was going to put some money into it. And the idea was let's build these super fan events called wrestling Supercards, where we were going to try to put something together. But I said this at the time, I kind of put together a roster that was, Seven years past WFX, and the guys, like I think we had Ken Anderson, uh, Jesse Goddard lined up for it. Uh, I think Dinsmore was booked for it. Um, and I, I, I didn't do a very good job of putting together a super fan event. Um, and we were going to do three cities. We we're going to do Thunder Bay, Thompson, and Winnipeg. Oddly enough, the tickets were actually moving. And there was some sponsors involved. Like financially, I think the shows could have come off and actually maybe even been profitable, which was, you know, certainly interesting for me to talk about profits. <laughs> um, but, but I'll tell you what happened. I, I ran into, I was having to negotiate with talent, not so much about payoffs, but we get a deal done. And I remember we had uh, Santino Morella and I was like, Santino, I need you to do this. YouTube video to promote the dates. And he just was so nonchalant about getting back to me on time and doing it. And another talent contacted me. He's like, I don't want to drive and or whatever it was. And it was like, I, I, I'm at a point in my life in 2017. I'm even worse now where I don't have the time, the patience or any of that or the want to negotiate with talent. So I just got tired of it. I, I remember I woke up with an anxiety attack one day from stress and I was like, screw this. I just don't want to do it. And that's why it didn't happen, actually. It, it wasn't necessarily going to... It wasn't going to be a financial windfall. But the people who were putting the money in didn't need it to be a huge return on investment. We wanted to do something fun. It wasn't going to be fun for me. And this is where talent, you know... Talent had an opportunity here to create the relationship I created in 2010 with Guy. Because if it had worked, I would have stuck with the same guys. But if you nickel and dime me on negotiating about little things, I just don't have the time for you. And I just decided, screw it. I'm not going to, I'm not doing it. And that's what happened. Well, whoever that guy was who didn't want to drive, he would have hated that trip to Thompson. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, the trips, to, basically, they were going to get to Winnipeg. And then we were going to have some oversized SUVs take the cruise. What it was all going to be was there was going to be, we were going to sell a video package, like a shoot interview series of road trips. And I was, I had, you know, strategic Ken Anderson in this vehicle, so-and-so in this vehicle. And we were going to videotape the eight-hour drive and get road stories. Because that's what a road trip, like in wrestling, that's what the road trip is valuable for. 
So you get them in the vehicle and you just shoot stories and the guys all know, hey, this is on the record. So anything you say is going to be used against you in the future. And that was going to be part of the ancillary revenue. So that was that was part of the vision. But it was honestly like when Santino, I was calling them daily. Hey, I need that YouTube video. Yeah, I'll get it free tomorrow. And after a week of that, I was like, I'm losing my I'm losing my marbles on this. It was nitpick bull crap. And I just didn't want to do it. So that's why it didn't happen. I, and I, it's, it's just a, I'm just kind of surprised that you were going to book Santino Morella at all, knowing that you, you're not a fan of Gaga. I found Santino to be very funny and very entertaining. See, Gaga is okay if you don't push Gaga as a serious main event star. The problem with Orange Cassidy is <laughs> Tony Khan, let's draw it back to where you're going. Tony <laughs> Khan tries to sell that guy as, as homegrown talent and, and a main event star. And he's not. So, okay, that's all. Let's move on to the second question here. Um, yeah, th- this one coming in from a uh, good friend of the show, Paul. What wrestling company in Western Canada has the best chance to make it big? Love your show. Ooh. Keep keep doing what you guys are doing. It's a good question, and I have a feeling Paul's not from Manitoba. Here's what I think. I'm gonna th- I'm gonna start talking about this and elaborating on this over the course of a couple of episodes. Winnipeg Pro Wrestling does what it does extremely well. Canadian Wrestling's Elite does what it does extremely well. If you think about Canadian Wrestling's Elite, they go all the way from Thunder Bay, Ontario, and maybe a little further east, all the way to the edge of Alberta, BC, and they used to be in BC. So they, that's like 5,000 miles, maybe? I don't know how many thousand miles. And they're the most, they have the most revenue from tickets. My, my concern would be that CWE doesn't properly reinvest back into their program to grow it, to expand it. That's going to be a problem for them to grow. Winnipeg Pro Wrestling, they're going to have to pivot, but I think they want to go a slow growth curve. And I just said, if you're running once every two months, it's going to be very hard to build a business behind spot shows six times a year. The company I think is most likely to get television in Canada is Nation Extreme Wrestling in BC. I think that they have the most momentum. I think that they have everything they do to market their product is major league. And I know from working in the CFL and I've also done some work with the, in, with the NHL, there is a marketing team for every franchise. Even the Winnipeg Gold Ice have it. They have a team of social media marketing. They have a team of mainstream marketing, game day promotions, all of that. And the only thing in wrestling that I think comes anywhere close to that is nation extreme wrestling. I guarantee you CWE doesn't have a social media team, doesn't have a mainstream team. It's Danny doing too much himself. And unfortunately, in some cases, Danny will cut the odd corner for the sake of, hey, let's make money today, as opposed to build the business for tomorrow. Uh, Winnipeg for Wrestling does a really good job of building their their brand. But again, if you're only going to run six events a year, how are you going to grow, Right. Um, so I think Nate, I think Nation Extreme Wrestling is going to get TV at some point in the next year, and they're going to be the, the the success story in Western Canada. Now, the dark horse, and my initial conversation with Heavy Metal in Edmonton was that he was just running this as an extension of his training academy, Top Talent Wrestling Academy. Check it out. If you're going to train, go there. Um, that venue in Edmonton has unique potential do specials for fight TV. And I believe he may have an 18 foot ring, which is very important. He could be the dark horse that does something that could potentially catch fire. But 
you got to build the business behind the, you got to have the sizzle behind the steak or a steak behind the sizzle. WFX, when we did it in 2010, everyone's like, oh, they're losing money. Well, yeah, but I had projected we were going to lose because to build your brand, you were going to have to invest a ton of money. So what we did is we put a roster together. Then we were doing the marketing. Then we were growing the TV. Chad Sokolovich was a big part of helping that. And eventually, we would have had a product and a package that were ready. And I'm going to tell that in the future episodes of the growth of WFX, where it was before it imploded. But we had built the brand, the talent, the package, the wrestling product. It was all part of baking the cake. Everything was a key ingredient. So new. So get back to the question. Nation wrestling and uh, nation extreme wrestling has the best chance right now in Western Canada. CWE. All it would take is a couple of pivots by Danny because I think he's got the most revenue. So if, from having the most revenue, he should be able to build the business plan to grow his company. But it's a lot of work, and I think he thinks he's got a simple formula of. Work in, revenue in, profit out. Don't complicate it. And I don't blame him for that. That's a gr- great answer. Before we put a bow on this one, this episode, that kind of brought up another question for me that's a bit of a callback because I talked about earlier about the idea of uh, impact and OVW and it, is there any value in them working together? Would there be any value in uh, independent supercard? Because I know lots of fans have talked about that and we've all talked about that until we're blue in the face. Would there be value yeah. in that? Like a, like a WPW and a CWE yeah. crossover show, for example. Okay, so I had an idea that Total B She's could present a super Canadian independent wrestling show. And, and I think Can-Am Wrestling is actually doing that in Alberta right now, where you have representation from all these different companies, and you get so that you don't get cross-promotion. Like, you don't get any politics from cross-promoting. You have WPW provide a match that's their showcase cwe provide a match that's their showcase you have somebody from alberta provide a match that's their showcase some if you can do it from bc right and you make it work where the revenue gets split so the talent the travels in gets compensated i think it could be done but to make that work whoever the host and entrepreneur is and if this and it won't be total bishis i don't have the time and, and the energy i do have the vision but not the time and the energy but whoever the host entrepreneur is, he needs to be able to count on all those promoters that he's giving the value of the showcase to that they then also assist him in promoting, right? So the, the value of the showcase has to be so valuable that the promoter for WPW and the promoter for 3D and the promoter for CWE and the promoter for, you know, promoter in Alberta, promoter in BC, promoter in Minnesota that they all get behind it and push it huge. And I just don't think, I think the politics will get involved and nobody will push it. Um, and it'll, and it, and it'll fall a little bit flat. My experience, and I know I want to wrap this quickly for you because I know you're probably looking at the time. In, in 2010, WFX became the big focus of Jeff Dick Enterprises, which at that time was known as One World United, but he also had money in CWE. So CWE should have been trying their hardest to help WFX gain steam because they would have gotten the residual positive effects. That did not happen. Let me tell you, Danny Duggan can be one stubborn son of a bitch when he wants to be. And he just he just stonewalled on everything. 
Liam Phillips came up with a creative idea that was going to push Danny as a superstar. Danny didn't buy in. Danny should have been looking to push tickets. Danny didn't buy in. Danny would run his date two nights after us, which would split a bit of the market. Everything he could do to be stubborn and, and not assist WFX, he did. because. And then he later justified it as, well, he knew WFX wasn't going to be around forever. It doesn't matter. Your stars are going to be bigger stars from the bigger stage getting bigger. But he didn't want to be the little brother. But Jeff Dick didn't. Jeff Dick's money was backing both companies, and Jeff Dick needed WFX to be bigger. So I worry that when you try to put together a vision like that, where everyone comes together and everyone benefits, there's going to be people who feel inferior by competition, and they're going to do little things to try to or try to undermine undermine the effort. And it just it, it it won't be worth it to whoever tries it. That being said, if somebody is eager enough to do it and they want my advice, I will help roadmap it. I'll help do a critical path. And I'll do everything I can to make it successful. But I, I would not have the energy or the cojones to want to do it myself. Asked and answered. You've been awesome today, Chris. Thank you for doing all the work. <laughs> it's, uh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so I'm going to cut this fast. Sorry that I wasn't in the studio this week. I hope this show comes across clean. And, um, yeah, I had fun. I was worked up. And I look forward to being back in the Total B She's Show Studios next week. Hopefully we can eventually get a sponsor. I think we should have a guest on. And thank you for letting me rant, rave, and sound stupid. I got, I got to say, Mike, it was a little more relaxing not having you here this week. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how when we're sitting across from each other, I'm trying to communicate with you while I talk with hand gestures so that you're picking up something. And, and you're like... It must be so much pressure for you to try to figure out what my hand gesture is. You are a hand talker, no doubt about it. All right, thank you so much. It's some Glen Goza, and uh, I look forward to the next episode. All right, we are out. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the iron claw as only the Vaughn Eric's can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friend, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling. Really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Why wouldn't this for a dozen girls and I wouldn't miss
finish this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon? <laughs>